You're listening to That'll Preach. I'm Brian. I'm joined with Paul, and uh, we've got a special guest today. I say that every time. I just realized that. But but this time, for real, is a very special guest. He's actually a guest we've had on before. And uh, He's our first ever double appearance. That's right. I think so, right? What do yeah. you mean double appearance? As in, like, this is the first person we've interviewed who's come back for a second yeah, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't scare him off. Wow! Uh, but he costs a lot of money to secure for the show. So please refrain from making it. It was like six figures. Yeah, or. yeah. <laughs> to refrain from what? French cheese jokes or French? Yeah, yeah. French. Well, it, okay. So we've already let the cat out, cat out of the bag. Uh, we have Guillaume. Bignon. Bignon. Not, yeah. Not beignet. Not big non. <laughs> but uh, we have Guillaume here. Guillaume, where'd you go? <laughs> I know, yeah. Oh, he just signed off. <laughs> Guillaume is gone. But uh, yeah, so Guillaume, we interviewed him. Oh my gosh, was that like two years ago? It was, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, we're probably going to repost it because we, we, when we were on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast, we interviewed him when we were just a show on that. and uh, Before was, we got famous. Before we got famous, <laughs> and it was about his incredible conversion story. So we're probably going to repost that. So look out for that in the coming weeks. But uh, we have Guillaume back here today. Guillaume, thank you for joining us uh, tonight and hanging with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, silently debate whether there's going to be a third instance uh, after all of those pleasantries. My standards were low enough that I accepted a second invitation when no one else apparently has in the past. So we'll see if I can. <laughs> That's what we were hoping third, for. Third time. Like, we just hope there's no competition, you know, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but we'll we do appreciate you coming on and, uh, and uh, we, uh, we want to talk about Roman Catholicism with you because uh, that's something that you've been studying for a while. And actually, I, I mean, the last time we talked to you, you touched on a little bit kind of off, off, uh, off the mic. You were talking about specifically your work on defining what the actual debate between Protestants and Roman Catholics is uh, regarding justification. And, and I think as Protestants we we rightly have this sense of like, okay, there was something important recaptured by the Reformation and something important about justification by faith alone and the, the, the graciousness of grace. That's really important. But I think we can go too far in wrongly characterizing or strawmanning what Catholics actually believe and where the debate actually is. And that can lead to a lot of... Uh, talking past each other. And I think I've seen that in a lot of debates between Catholics and Protestants, even just in talking to people and even in myself. And so I think what I really liked about your work is you really steel man, I think, the, the, the Catholic argument, and you really understand them on their own terms. And I found that to be very helpful. But I'm kind of curious, just opening up, what got you interested in this uh, topic about specifically justification and how it differs between Protestants and Catholics, or really how how one is saved or how you want to phrase it. Yeah, sure. All of those are related issues. So the way I got myself into that that topic of study uh, has to do with the fact that I was very interested in justification by faith uh, in itself, right? Well, you aside from the disagreement between Catholics and Protestants, simply because that's the beautiful truth of the gospel, which I came to uh, encounter 
as part of my conversion story, which we discussed in the past. Uh, so I was an atheist, and uh, as part of my investigation into Christianity, uh, a, a significant piece was discovering this message that we're not uh, justified, we're not forgiven, we're not given eternal life on the basis of our good works or our own righteousness or on whether we pass muster with God, but on the contrary, on the simple fact that we accept, we receive the free gift of eternal life that is offered to us in Christ when we simply repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, who, having died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins so that there's kind of a swap where he pays the price and we go for free. That message was shocking to me. I had never heard anything like this until I was 25 or so. And it hit me like a ton of brick and was a significant part of my conversion to say, yes, now it not only makes sense intellectually, at the time I had resolved my intellectual objections to Christianity, but it also made sense of my own moral experience where I was confronted with my own guilt, uh, the fact that I had done some really nasty things and that I was afflicted by guilt, not because I just felt overly like, like bad. Like, like it, it was not a, a bad feeling that was inappropriate, like I was... Uh, oversensitive to some things I had done. No, I felt guilty because I was guilty. And that message of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone um, was exactly matching my experience. I embraced it and I experienced this uh, spiritual renewal. So this was a very significant part of my coming to Christ. And uh, I got really passionate about proclaiming this message to others, right? Uh, just in case they hadn't heard it, uh, just like I hadn't. Um, but I, it uh, very clearly came up that uh, the reason I hadn't heard this message before was not because I didn't pay attention in church when I was growing up a Catholic uh, in, a very, in my very young years. Um, it came up that simply this is a message that is not just not affirmed by the Catholic Church, but explicitly denied. Um, that this was one of the big issues of the Reformation with the Reformers affirming um, justification by faith alone, or in Latin, sola fide, faith alone. Um, um, and the Roman Catholic side denying it. So that's um, part of the uh, puzzlement that I uh, came to, to experience when I became a Christian, accepted this message of salvation by faith alone, and realized, well, actually, uh, this was denied by the church of my childhood. And I also was asked uh, somewhat uh, soon after my conversion, when I explain to people, here are the reasons why I'm now a Christian, why I actually believe. Um, several asked me, well, you know, you grew up in the Catholic Church, so why are you not a Catholic today? And I therefore find myself in conversation having to explain, well, it has mostly to do with my understanding of the good news of salvation in Christ, that it's by faith alone, uh, and that this is not the teaching of the Catholic Church. So this is somewhat how I got into the topic. And at the time, I was not very um, comfortable explaining exactly what the Catholic view was. I understood that it denied whatever I affirmed, which was the Protestant view, but what it taught in its place was not altogether clear for me. And this has driven some of my frustration in studying the matters because I wanted to do a bit more than to tell people, well, here's the message of the Bible. Here's salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, you know, justification by faith alone. Um, and the Catholic faith denies it, so therefore they're wrong. But okay, but what do they say, actually? Well, you know, if our answer is by faith alone, what do they say? And this is where I found that the writings of the various even controversialists, uh, so the apologists on both sides uh, debating Catholicism and Protestantism, 
had a very hard time pinning down exactly in a helpful way what is the Catholic answer to the relevant questions because there were some significant equivocations on some of the key terms of the debate that often went, often went uh, unacknowledged and just left the debaters in, in plain confusion. And you know that, even that diagnostic is not something that I uh, identified very quickly myself. So I swam in a lot of that confusion reading through the sources. And it's only after a few years of actually thinking about those issues that I realized, oh, yeah, they're talking past each other on some very key issues. And that's what got me all the more excited to go to the bottom of this and to try to produce some uh, research material to explain to people, here's where people are misguided, here's where they're talking past each other, and here's how we can put the debate back on track. So that's a little bit of the genesis of my research here. So you, you use, use the terms justification, forgiven of sins, given eternal life, almost in the same breath there. Are you saying that uh, on the Protestant view, those things go together, and on the Catholic view, they have something of a different uh, conception of what justification entails than those uh, collocations of concepts? Yeah, so this is one one place where we have the opportunity to be very precise. And uh, in my very casual discussion here, I was actually a little bit sloppy, uh, and that's okay in practice. In using uh, phrases like uh, salvation by faith alone or justification by faith alone, well, those terms are not actually exactly equivalent, right? There is more to salvation than just justification. And that's sometimes a criticism that Catholics can be uh, lodging against Protestants to think that, well, you know, uh, justification is all there is to salvation. Uh, and the answer is no, it's not. Uh, so salvation uh, is the general, the global, all-encompassing description of what happens to us when Christ gets a hold of us. And there's a number of things that happen there uh, that can be unpacked biblically in terms of um, a justification. Yes, indeed. But there's also a sanctification, right? so an actual moral transformation that happens. Uh, there's a language of adoption, uh, election. So all of those concepts are related, you so they go together, yes, indeed, uh, but they're not fully uh, identical. So the, the narrower focus of my research has been indeed on justification. And justification, as Protestants understand it, is a very technical term that refers to a legal status. So it is indeed a forensic concept uh, of a legal acquittal. We are looking at a person and we are asking, are they condemned or are they uh, like acquitted? And that's, uh, that word justification refers to that um, acquitted status, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a legal declaration. This person is acquitted. And that's uh, purely the meaning of the word leaves it completely open whether or not the person is in fact uh, guilty of what they've done. Right? So the, the, whether or not they have committed the sin is somewhat loosely, only loosely connected to whether they're going to be legally acquitted for it or not. And this is indeed the initial puzzle of justification from the Christian point of view, which is which has Paul uh, discussed that uh, at length in his letters. It's the fact that we have guilty people who are declared innocent, right? Mm -hmm. So they are ac acquitted or justified, and this is why it raises questions about God, and that's why Paul anticipates, you know, like how can God be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus? So all of those. Uh, Questions are arising because of this initial like, paradox almost of seeing that people who are in fact guilty when facing trial are acquitted by a God who yet remains just. 
-hmm. And that's the the puzzle of the, the the atonement that God is making in Christ for us to be saved or justified by faith and not by works. So that, that's the legal concept of justification from the Protestant side. But you're quite right that the Catholics use that same word, but they mean something different. And mm. it's, it's part of the heart of the misunderstanding that I've identified in my own research, that we already don't even talk about the same thing when we use the same word to begin with. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to kind of clarify. Like, I think you were saying that even in the conversations with Catholics, things get muddled. Because it's like, you believe that salvation is not by faith alone. And they're like, well, you believe salvation is just justification. Meaning to be saved only means you believed in Christ and your guilt is atoned for and you're righteous. That, that, but that is the total aspect. That is all salvation is. But that isn't the Protestant view even. And That's not right. the Reformed right. view. There, there's, it's much broader than that. I mean, Calvin talks about the double cure of your your uh, your sin is washed away, but you're also transformed into righteousness by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, but then, you, you, if you get past that and go, okay, we're talking specifically about justification. Like you were saying, I think it's so important what you said. Catholics and Protestants use the same word justification, but mean different things. And you were saying Protestants mean a legal declaration over a person who is still guilty in the sense of they've done something wrong, but something has been done to remove that guilt and pronounce a new status of them, even though they themselves are not perfectly righteous. Yeah. So it's, it's a very forensic kind of thing. And then you were saying Catholics still have a different understanding. So if you're a Catholic and you, and you, how would you answer justification is what would yeah, you say? So- Exactly. So the the Catholics have a a different use of the same word. uh, And for them, justification refers to a process of actual moral transformation. So it's a process that begins at the start of the Christian life, which typically they would say happens at baptism. And then it's a full process of actual transformation where the grace of God is infused in us, right? The righteousness of God is infused in the believer to make them actually more and more righteous. And so for the Protestants, this process of transformation, of moral renewal to make us better and better, sounds a lot like what we call sanctification. So you were quite right right in saying that for Protestant, justification is not the only thing that happens in salvation, generally understood. Salvation, traditionally, the Reformed are going to be differentiating between justification, which is this legal acquittal, right? And that's something that happens immediately at Upon coming to genuine saving faith in Christ, the believer is acquitted. So it's a binary status. It's legal and it's forensic. And then the Protestants are going to insist very strongly that any genuine uh, justification by genuine faith like that will always be followed by sanctification. That is that there's going to be a process of moral transformation where the believer gets better and better by the action of the Holy Spirit. But that's process they call sanctification and it's very similar to what the Catholics call justification. And then the final piece of the pie for the Protestant is uh, the uh, glorification, which is uh, the final state after the, you know, after life, once after death, uh, once we've been uh, put in the presence of God, we're fully transformed and we're glorified. And this is the, the status of eternal life or heaven or whatever language the Bible describes for what happens uh, for those who are in Christ uh, after death. And so 
For the Protestant, you have those three phases, justification, sanctification, and glorification, all of which constitute salvation. For the Catholic, justification refers to that process of becoming better, which is really the equivalent of sanctification for the Protestant. But once you identify those, you can finally remove the confusion and say, okay, so if the Catholic by justification means something like what we mean by sanctification, then you want to ask, what's the Catholic equivalent to what we call justification? Right. Right. And so this is the very freeing question that I was finally able to ask once I realized that we were talking past each other. And that is, what is the Catholic answer to the question that Protestants ask when they talk about justification? And there, justification for the Protestant is a legal status, it's an acquittal, so it's, it's a binary thing, right? You're either in or out, you're acquitted or guilty. And which is, by the way, a, a way that I can, you know, if I can defend a little bit the uh, shortcut that Protestants take in saying that we are saved by faith alone, right? even though salvation is more than just justification, the shortcut is not all that unjustified because uh, ultimately being justified means that you are going to have eternal life, right? That's what it's entailing for the Protestant. And so this is this binary concept that we say saved or condemned, right? So uh, having eternal life or having eternal uh, condemnation, um, going to heaven or uh, being in the presence of God. So all of those, this language of the salvation experience is really event eventually a binary thing. You're either in it, you have it, or you don't. And there's going to be the separation, the sheep and the goats, uh, in the words of Jesus. So that binary status is what we mean by justification. And now for the Catholic, you do have that ultimate sorting in the end. There are some people who miss out on salvation altogether, and some who do um, make it to eternal life and in the presence of God. So some criterion has to be there in the Catholic system to explain which ones make it and which ones don't. On the right. Protestant side, this is what we capture with our view of justification by faith alone, where we mm -hmm. say those who are in are those who are justified. When they are acquitted, they will have eternal life. Their sins will be forgiven. And that's obtained by faith alone in Christ alone. So it's an, uh, an active trust that we put in Jesus. When that happens, we have the justification, the forgiveness, the eternal life. For the Catholics... The equivalent of that is actually fairly clearly stated in the various authoritative sources, and the equivalent is what they call being in a state of grace. Hmm. And the being in a state of grace is now the true equivalent of the, the true Catholic equivalent of the Protestant concept of justification, and it is a um, declaration of whether the uh, person is going to be indeed in that binary up uh, thumbs up status right? that they are going to be eventually um, uh, actually saved, uh, they have eternal life. And so the state of grace uh, on the Catholic system is something that you get how? You get it by baptism. So baptism, the sacrament of baptism on Catholicism is what puts you into a state of grace from having initially been born in a state of original sin, right? So they have a strong understanding of original sin as separating you from God, like from birth. And then the thing that does get you in the regeneration, if you will, that will put you into a state of grace is baptism. If you are validly baptized, uh, you receive this uh, sacrament that pushes you into a state of grace. And now you are such that if you were to die, you would have eternal life. You would go to heaven. Your sins would be forgiven, right? So that's this binary thing that happens when you 
get into the state of grace. Now, it's not the end of the story on Catholicism because you can lose that state of grace subsequently. And this is where the Catholic distinction is between uh, sins that are venial or mortal. So the Catholics teach that there are some sins that are only venial, that they're they bad, they are things that you shouldn't be doing, and they stain your soul, but they do not destroy your uh, justified status, if you will. I'm using Protestant language for the word justify here, but <laughs> they, they don't destroy your uh, state of grace. They keep you in the grace of God. But there, is, there are some sins that are more grievous sin, uh, which if they meet certain conditions are declared to be mortal sins, that when you commit them, you thereby lose your state of grace. You are now placed in a state of mortal sin, such that if you were to die now, then you would miss out on salvation. Right? You would not go to heaven. So, so oh. the state of grace is lost by a mortal sin. And then there's only one way to return into a state of grace after a mortal sin. And it would be to receive the sacrament of confession or penance. That's the same word for the, the same sacrament. So you have these two sacraments that kind of like trigger the uh, jumping into the state of grace from the Catholic side. Baptism initially gets you into the state of grace. And then if you lose your salvation by committing a mortal sin, if you lose your state of grace, you can return into it by receiving a uh, sacrament of penance by an, a validly ordained priest. And that system is what I found to be the equivalent of the Protestant teaching on justification. So if we just, I think you even use this example of like, you know, to get to the heart of the issue, someone's about to die. And a Protestant goes, do you believe in Jesus? Mm -hmm. Do you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, that he died and rose for you? And a Catholic goes, have you been baptized? And have you committed any mortal sins? And if you say yes to baptize and you've committed a mortal sin, you go, have you done confession, penance, that whole thing, to get back into a state of grace. So that gets to the heart of the issue. If you're on your deathbed, there's two different sets of questions that you're going to be asked. That's exactly um, right. That's what, exactly right. What role does faith have on the baptism plus um, penance if you commit a mortal sin? Does faith factor in at all? Yeah, so uh, it's uh, it does factor in, uh, but it, it's a little bit more indirect. So um, in a sense, the baptism on the Catholic side can be done uh, prior to you coming to faith because it's infant baptism, right? So for so obviously there's such a thing as an adult convert to Catholicism, but in the grand majority of cases, it's babies that are being baptized uh, on the Catholic side. And so arguably they don't yet have the content of a, of a genuine faith in Christ, but they are simply by virtue of baptism um, put into the state of grace and such that they would be going to heaven if they died uh, as early as, as that. Uh, so faith is not strictly necessary from this point on. Um, but obviously, as they grow, they need to develop a genuine faith in Christ and arguably after sort, some sort of conditions or maybe an edge of accountability or however you want to cash this out, faith becomes a necessary condition simply on the grounds that if you didn't have faith, that would be a mortal sin of simply apostasy or unbelief. Oh, right? I see. So, okay. so I think that that would qualify as a mortal sin to place you outside of the state of grace and thereby needing indeed the uh, confession to return to, to faith. Uh, so so faith, faith would be seen as a necessary though not sufficient condition maybe. So a, a, a Catholic child, considered by the Catholic church, you're baptized as an infant. At that moment, regardless of whether you have faith, you are in a state of grace. 
Meaning, if you died, you would go to heaven, essentially. That's right. Um, but that's as you age, you will commit a mortal sin if you don't exercise faith. Yeah, that so seems that's right the too. indirect function that you're going to end up losing your state of grace unless you develop faith, and that's why faith is, in a sense, necessary to that. Whereas yeah. in the Protestant view, that wouldn't be the case. But faith is not necessary in the case of the infant who dies. So the baptized infant who's in a state of grace dies, still goes to heaven. So faith is not even a necessary condition on the part of the infant who is baptized. Yeah. Although you can say indirectly, maybe through the church or the parents or something like that. But Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Very okay. much so. I, I mean, think they, some Protestants would probably affirm something like that. Yeah, so some so there's going to be different views on the Protestant yeah. side about the fate the fate of the uh, of the infants who die uh, in infancy. Uh, so here, this is not a debate that I'm trying to arbitrate myself, but you're right. quite right that the uh, that the the Catholic side uh, does affirm that the uh, baptism gets you into the state of grace, regardless of your having yet faith, and faith comes later. Uh, now there, there are caveats. So the, what I'm describing here is the main answer on the Catholic side, but there's mm -hmm. a, a couple of little uh, caveats that need to be brought in um, into the, the place of like baptism and uh, confession. So uh, baptism on the Catholic view, it can be valid even if it's not made by a, an ordained priest. Okay. So uh, the, the conditions for a baptism to be valid on Catholicism, right? So on the Catholic view, the conditions for a baptism to be valid are that it must be done with the right matter, the mm -hmm. right form, and the right intention. So mm -hmm. the right mat matter is water, right? So you, there, there are some funny texts in the uh, official inspired, uh, official authoritative Catholic sources that uh, you know, make some case law saying that, uh, no, it's not proper to baptize with beer. True story. As much as we would like that to be Drunk true. on the spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they, they do adjudicate those things. So it has to be the right matter. It has to be water. The right form, uh, that's the formula that is pronounced. Uh, so it has to be a Trinitarian baptism with a dedicated formula by the, the person who baptizes. And then that person needs to have the right intention which is phrased like this. It says it, you need the intention of doing what the church does in baptism. So if you have those three things, you don't need to be an ordained priest or, any, or you don't even need to be a Catholic. Uh, you can va baptize validly. You don't even need to be a Christian, right? None of those requires you to be in that oh, actual really? good, good relationship with Jesus. Um, if you have the right matter, the right form, and the right intention, well, you can perform intention? Wouldn't you well, have to be no, a Christian to intend it or no? No, no, not at all. Because the intention is simply the intention of doing what the church does in baptism. Mm. So, so this is why this is why baptism is still valid, even if done by someone who turns out to be an apostate later, or you get these kinds of debates in the early church about, you know, some 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 bishops, you know, ended up giving over to apostasy or not becoming true Christians. And the question of whether or not these are still valid baptisms. And yeah, I guess the, the church's position was that it's the office that is important, maybe. Um, not, not even no, not even the office. It's really just the matter, form and intention. So uh, Arguably, mm, it's pretty nice that it's pretty nice that you don't have to worry about the salvation status of the person who's baptizing you, right? So you don't have to know about that. Yeah, it's an that's, objective that's, 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 thing. That's a plus. Yeah. So, so, so that's a plus. Now, the minus is that there's still so matter. I mean, you can be pretty reasonably certain that what has been used for your baptism is water. Can you imagine like baptizing your kid in beer? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yes. like yeah, no, yeah. So, so, so that, that'd be epic. Paul would do that. that. 
that, that wouldn't count. Uh, but the form and intention are pretty tough criteria. And there's been uh, stories in the news, I think, in the recent years oh, yeah. of, uh, of folks dude. who realized that they've been baptized with the wrong formula. Yeah. And, as, and as a result, that baptism was not valid because the formula is wrong. Right. So there, there, there are some some tricky parts there, but the the upshot of all of this is that you can be baptized validly even if you're not baptized by a priest or even a Catholic or even a Christian. So for us Protestants, it's interesting because that means that uh, the in the vast majority of cases, a Protestant baptism is going to be seen as valid by the Catholic right. Church. Okay. I'm going to say which is which partly explains some of the language of Vatican II that says that we're separate separated brethren. Right. right? So so the Protestants are recognized as brothers, but separate. Mm -hmm. And and part of that justification for the, the term brothers is the fact that they recognize the validity of Protestant baptism as long as we use water, as long as we use a formula that's Trinitarian, and uh, as long as we have the intention of doing what the church does when baptizing. So yeah. those things are satisfied. Um, I, so that, that's interesting. I, I will say this, though. Um, not every Protestant baptism matches those, and not, not even if they fail to have matter, uh, form, and intention. But my Protestant baptism uh, had all of those three criteria met, and yet it's not valid if Catholicism is true for one additional reason, which is that it wasn't my first baptism. So ah. I, I was baptized as an infant um, right. in the Catholic Church myself, and then I lived uh, most of my life as an atheist and have uh, certainly committed what uh, uncontroversially amounts to a number of mortal sins. So on the sacramental system of Catholicism, for me, my uh, chronology plays against me because I was baptized as an infant. Then I lived as an atheist and committed a mortal sin. So if Catholicism is true, you can see what happened to me, right? I, I, I came into a state of grace, followed subsequently by a mortal sin that got me out of the state of grace. And so then I became a Christian and was baptized as a believing Protestant. But that counted for nothing on Catholicism because my second baptism was not counted as valid. The first one is the one that counts. If you lose your state of grace, what you need after that is not a second attempt at baptism. It's confession. And there, that's one that you do need an ordained priest for. So baptism, you don't, uh, but confession, you absolutely do. It's a specific power that is allegedly given to the priests when they are ordained to now actively forgive sins. And this is where the sacramental system of Rome differs strongly from the Protestant view. You need a priest who has that power to remove sins, and he's, he needs to be the one who gives you the absolution at the sacrament of confession. So you, you present an interesting test case in your own life where you're saying that when you were you were baptized as a Roman Catholic infant, the problem is you fell out of a state of grace because of your mortal sin, but you didn't get back into the system to get back into the state of grace because you didn't uh, take the you, you didn't get confession by a Catholic priest, which you need. So that's exactly I guess, right. I guess you're kind of out of luck. Maybe you're going to get a couple extra years in purgatory. I don't know. No, but, but uh, that's the thing. So um, the the answer is no, and I'll get to purgatory in just a second to show you why that's actually not even a, a lively hope for me. Uh, but you're oh. quite right that I think on the best reading of the Catholic sources, with that understanding of the sacramental system, if Catholicism is true, I am likely on my way to hell right now. So the, the stakes are indeed fairly high. I think that I have some skin in the game. Now, thankfully, I'm, I'm quite convinced that the right system is not the sacramental system, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, to God's glory alone. And so I'm not losing sleep over that. But it is yeah, explaining that there are some very practical differences on between the two views. Now, I, I should add uh, there's one uh, final caveat about the uh, confession. So um, you... 
technically could receive the absolution from the sacrament of penance without going through the actual sacrament. There's a couple of exceptions that are given in the authoritative sources, uh, and they are as follows. You can get the, mer the benefits of the sacrament without the actual sacrament if you satisfy those uh, following two conditions. The first one is that you must have a perfect contrition. So the Catholic uh, view distinguishes between attrition and contrition. So uh, the um, uh, contrition is supposed to be this perfect degree of repentance for your sins, right? So attrition is you feel bad for the bad that you've done. Uh, and it's, it can also be like somewhat self-interested, right? So it's like, yeah, I don't really want to be judged. So I, I, I don't really like that. So it's, it's not the, the highest, uh, most lofty standard of uh, repentance for the sake of it. Uh, it it's also self-interested. So it's kind of mixed. So it's not perfect, but it's it's attrition. Contrition is supposed to be this perfect standard where you genuinely feel sorry for your sin purely out of your love for God. Like it's selflessly it's disinterested. Like, so that's that's contrition. So there's those two distinct these distinctions. And so for you to receive the benefit of the sacrament of penance without receiving the actual sacrament, you need to have contrition, which is perfect uh, contrition. Um you know, from a Protestant side of things, can't be skeptical that this is even feasible. <laughs> like, <laughs> but so, hey, you so, could try. You could cover all your bases. I, I, you know I, 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 I could, I could, I could try very hard. But uh, no matter, you know, if I look in my own heart, uh, just how pure are my desires? When I, even I feel bad about my sin, uh, this never rises to the heights of uh, what is supposed to be contrition. Yeah. But you're like let, Luther. Let, <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's suppose that I'm uh, that I'm a little bit too uh, demanding here, and that maybe contrition is not as demanding as I yeah. think it is, uh, that it's actually accessible, that it's a real life possibility. The second condition is the one that's lethal, which is that you need not just to have a perfect contrition, you also need to have the desire to receive the sacrament as soon as is possible. So uh, if you match those two conditions, you get your perfect contrition and you have the desire to receive the sacrament of confession or penance as soon as you can, then immediately the effect is given to you already prior to you undergoing the sacrament. Uh, the problem is that even if we assume that I could have perfect contrition, I clearly failed the second criterion because I have no intention of being uh, of receiving confession uh, by an ordained priest. Uh, here I am, you know, uh, recording a podcast declaring that the Catholic view is false. So I'm, I'm clearly not doing the right things here. I don't have that desire. And also, on a little bit more of a serious note, I don't have that desire partially because I think it's uh, it's offensive to the true beautiful gospel that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So I don't have that plan. So I don't qualify with that caveat. So clearly my state of grace is not something I could return to if Catholicism were true, given my life story at this point. Well, I, I want to throw Paul under the bus because we have conversations and Paul's kind of like, you theologians, you're not skilled philosophers like I am. You care too much about justification. It's not a big deal. What did Catholicism is just like another denomination. I so, did I did I did say that. But yeah. I so it, never said that justification is not a big deal. Now well, okay, so what uh I mean what's at stake here? Maybe well, why don't you ask Paul? What is what were you burning to ask? Uh so so a few things. I guess on on your reading of the Catholic material Protestants are only saved if they meet those two conditions. So, so the, all of the billion separated brethren have to meet 
So unless unless they meet the the perfect condition and the desire to receive the sacrament as soon as possible, there's no way that Protestants can secure eternal life. So, so Protestants who have, like I have, committed what's obviously a mortal sin, then I would say yes, uh, because once you're in a state of mortal sin, these are the conditions to return. Thankfully, uh, and again, again, thankfully, I don't think that Catholicism is true, but if Catholicism were true, even then there's thankfully uh, a way for Protestants to be saved that's much uh, more um, probable than the one I'm describing for me. And it's simply the fact that they could have the, um, the validity of their baptism recognized Right, to say, well, you know, my baptism is correct, and then they don't have to commit a mortal sin. Right? Right. So okay. if that's the case, then they would be saved in virtue of being in a state of grace. They are placed in a state of grace by their baptism, and then they don't necessarily need to commit a mortal sin if they remain in the faith and they don't, uh, you know, they don't commit murder or adultery. Or uh, the, again, the list of what counts as mortal sin is not altogether clear from the sources. There are some lists mm. of How things convenient. that are said. So the, the criteria are not super clear. What is uh, absolutely necessary is that it needs to be a grievous sin. Right? So it has to be grave. So the mm. matter needs to be pretty serious. Uh, it's not just... A, a little bit of, oh, I, I did a, a little white lie here or there. No, it has to be a very serious, grievous sin. And then you need to um, to uh, basically know what you were doing was very wrong. Right? So there's epistemological uh, criteria here. And right. you also needed to be in full control of what you were doing. So uh, interestingly enough, it kind of fits with the modern categories of moral responsibility and yeah, philosophy yeah, yeah. of action. You need to have to meet some epistemological and free will conditions for moral responsibility. So... If you meet those, which I think I'm clearly I matched when I sinned, right? I was morally responsible. I knew what I was doing. And while I did not hold the belief maybe that some of those things were wrong because I had denied this, I was still morally responsible for right. those in, in, simply in virtue of you know, having a seared conscience doesn't excuse you. Right. So, yeah. um, so those criteria uh, for um, mortal sin uh, need to be matched, so it needs to be a very grave sin. You need to be in control of what you're doing, and you need to know that what you're doing is wrong. So um, you could uh, arguably live a Protestant life without ever committing such a mortal sin. In which case, on the Catholic view, you would be declared into a state of grace in virtue of your valid baptism, even as a Protestant, and then simply go to heaven because at, at the moment of death you're still in the state of grace, not having committed a mortal sin. I think that if Catholicism is, Catholicism is true, uh, that's the majority of Protestant salvations rather than the, the very lucky few who would be Protestants, <laughs> baptized, Perfectly have, committed, ha, have yeah. committed a mortal sin, <laughs> yeah, yeah, have yeah. perfect contrition, right. and also this weird desire to receive the yeah. sacrament of confession <laughs> when you are Protestant. You know what, though? You just described <laughs> Paul Rizkala. You just described Paul. But you know, I mean, that that's a... What mortal sins did I commit? I don't know. I, I shouldn't, look, Paul does care about justification. But I mean, what, I guess that is the question, though. What's it, like, how big of a deal is the difference between a Roman Catholic and a Protestant versus like a Presbyterian and a Baptist or an Arminian and a Calvinist. It's like, where do we slot Roman Catholicism? Are they another denomination or are they like Mormons? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Where do so we I'm, slot them? The, the reason I have a hard time answering that question is that I'm, I'm not sure what a denomination is. Right? <laughs> so yeah. a denomination is already like a, itself. Like a, a, like a true analytic philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. So I'm going to give you the classic answer of it depends what it means. Um, <laughs> what I would say is um, there's uh, good reasons for hope um, 
precisely because Protestantism is true. So the Protestant view mm. tells you that, so like I've just described there being little hope for me if Catholicism is true, precisely because I fail at the sacramental system game. Um, but if, if Protestantism is true, what is the alleged criterion on the basis of which you are justified is if you have a genuine saving faith in Jesus. Well, it's it's practical enough and it's simple simple enough to state to somebody and it's great. This is what you must answer when somebody says, "What good sir? What must I do to have eternal life?" You know, repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. But if you try to analyze exactly what that takes, that gets a bit dicey. Right? Right. What is actual saving faith? Mm -hmm. What is the intellectual content that uh, you need from your faith? So there are some dicey questions there, mm. and I don't necessarily dive into those very precisely in my own writings. Um, but here's my way of thinking about it. I'm thinking that a, such a saving faith is probably accessed by a great number of Roman Catholics um, in simple, simple virtue of the fact that they believe in Jesus. They believe that he was uh, risen from the dead. They believe that he's the son of God and that, you know, that he's like somebody to be worshipped. So all of those good things that incline them towards Jesus, you know, they say that he died on the cross, you know, for our sins, according to the scriptures. So all of those things uh, sound pretty good to a Protestant ear. Mm -hmm. And there, there's probably enough content in there for that genuine faith to be saving uh, according to the Protestant terms of what makes faith saving. Uh I do want to say that it's not yet, so it's not to say that the differences don't matter at all in terms of obtaining salvation if, because Protestantism is true, because I would throw in a couple of complications in there, um, and they have to do with the um, the hope that you do have in Christ for your salvation. There's need to. It seems to me there needs to be a little bit of a saving, uh, salvation um, related content uh, and that you you see this pop up in uh, Paul's description in the in the book of Galatians of the folks who say that if you you, know, if you count on circumcision then Christ has died in vain and say like you you foolish you you're cut off from grace mm -hmm. if you actually insist on being saved by those uh, like ritual performances so um, it does seem to say that uh, there, there's a way to distort the content of your faith enough that you now contend that this is on your own righteousness, your own terms, and this doesn't qualify as an actual saving faith in Christ. And so this is the place where I would put a serious warning to my Catholic friends to say, be careful that your actual content of uh, faith in Christ wouldn't actually disqualify you like this if Protestantism is true. But you know, those concerns uh, taken into account, I would say that there's plenty of room for Catholics to have that genuine saving faith by which virtue they would be justified, even though they themselves deny that it's faith that gets you justified. It's so almost like being the more Catholic you are, the more dicier it gets. But if you're just kind of like, I just believe Jesus will take care of it. It's almost like, well, you know, rather you do that than, you know, have yeah. other things. Uh, something that, could be. that has bothered me, though, even when you talk about justification by faith alone, the question is, what is... Not, not even just the content of what you believe, like mm -hmm. affirming the Trinity and all these things. It's like, like talking about James, what is justified faith? What actually yeah. is faith? And then, well, it's like, well, faith will always come with works. Well, then it's like, well, how much, how many works do I need to display to know that my faith is real? And that one's always mm -hmm. bugged me because I can see a Catholic response to say, well, you, you, in a sense, maybe in a more indirect sense, believe 
that you're justified by works in an indirect way because your works are how you know that your faith is indeed real. And how do you work with that from a from a sola fide kind of perspective from, from Protestants? Yeah, so these are all very traditional conversations between Catholics and Protestants, and there's a lot of good things to say there. Uh, let me try to tackle some of the things that I, okay. I've heard uh, in, in your question and yeah. see if, if that helps. Um, the, the first piece that I would mention is that's the you, you asked like what is faith like what is justifying faith and here there's also a, an equivocation in the conversations between Protestants and Catholics. Right. Um, it, it's one that's not often acknowledged as well. But um, Protestants by faith in the phrase justify by faith alone means something very active, alive, like it's an active trust. So it's much more than just an intellectual content or in intellectual assent, right? Uh, and yet the Catholics, when they use the word faith, they tend to have that that uh, meaning in view. That's to say it's it's an intellectual oh, assent see. to yeah. a certain number of doctrine, which is a fine use of the word. I mean, I, I have no qualms with that. I think that that same word can be used appropriately for describing those two realities, but it's just an unfortunate misunderstanding because now when you ask the question, are we justified by faith alone? You have two words in that question that are equivocated with the Protestant view of justification and the Catholic view of justification and the Protestant view of faith and the Catholic view of faith, which means that when you ask the question, are we justified by faith alone? Technically, there's four ways of unpacking that question. Right. Right. And so I've presented it in the past like this. You could call it P justification and C justification for the Protestant and Catholic views of justification and P faith and C faith for the Protestant and Catholic views of faith. And then ask those four questions. And I find that fairly illuminating because in the end, so you're asking like, are we P justified by P faith alone? Are we P justified by C faith alone? Are we C justified by P faith alone? And are we C justified by C faith alone, right? These are the four questions that you can ask. And when you unpack those and you think a little bit about the meanings of those words and ask if anybody affirms that we are uh, indeed justified by faith alone on any of those four, four combinations of meaning, what you find is that Protestants and Catholics uncontroversially all answer no to three of those questions. Hmm. So we're all on the same page about it's the answer being no on three of those combinations, and we only disagree on one. So we agree that uh, we are not C-justified by C-faith alone. Right? So C-justified would mean that it's this moral process of transformation. Right? And by C-faith alone would be that by, by intellectual assent alone. Right. Well, clearly, no but we one just become holy because well we believe a proposition. Exactly. Yeah. So right. no, no one affirms that. Right. So we all say no. We're not C justified by C faith alone. Are we C justified by P faith alone? Namely, are we morally transformed purely in virtue of our having this alive saving trust in Jesus? Well, Parsons would say that this transformation will happen necessarily. It will follow from it, right. but it's not the criterion, right? So there's good works involved in C-justification, right. which is what Parsons called sanctification. Right. Right. So it's not by P-faith alone uh, any more than it's by C-faith alone. Right. So the, the C-justification is not uh, by faith alone in right. either of the understandings of faith. It's kind so of an now, antinomianism um, kind of thing. Yeah, so so the, the, the criterion is simply not that. That right. uh, C justification is not by P faith alone. Right. Now, is P justification by C faith alone? So uh, now we're asking, are we acquitted, right? P justified, like so it's the legal forensic declaration. Are we acquitted by 
see faith alone, which is purely intellectual assent. Mm. And here again, we all say no. Right. Protestants are very vocal in saying, no, precisely not. This is not just this right. intellectual assent. You, you can't just it's pray a prayer to... and then, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's an actual living trust yeah. that's there in the living faith. And this is the very point that James is laboring in uh, James chapter 2. That, you know, you tell me you have faith. Well, show me your faith by your works. Like somebody who genuinely is going to have saving faith is going to have more than just intellectual assent because even the demons have this much and yet they shudder. So I think that's a very good unpacking of James chapter 2, that he's saying, no, we're not uh, justified by see faith alone. Right? I think right. that's the yeah. proper the yeah. denial that right. is happening there. And Protestants are fully on board with that. So nobody says that we're justified by see faith alone. The last question on which there's an actual disagreement is, are we justified by pee faith alone? Are we acquitted by a living trust alone? And that's where the Protestants say yes, and the Catholics say no, because the P-justification that we have or is what they call the state of grace, is something you don't get by faith alone. It's something you get by baptism and uh, confession, if necessary. But I, I want to press that a little more. Like, on a practical level, how do you know that the P-faith alone is, in fact, a true and living faith? And I think you're sitting with someone, they're like, you know, I don't, Guillaume, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. I believe it, but like I sin in my life and I don't know if this is a living faith because living faith comes with works at what level? Like I have some good works, but I also got a lot of bad ones. So what's the ratio mm -hmm. of enough evidence that I can know that I truly have P faith and not merely C faith? And then I think that's that's kind of where it gets tricky assurance wise. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the uh, question of assurance is also a standout question for pastors to uh, you know, uh, answer to their, their congregation. Like a pastor, you know, how do I know that my my faith is uh, is real, that it's saving? Um, I don't have very enlightening uh, practical applications there. What I would say is that you want to distinguish between uh, your own personal knowledge that you have a genuine saving faith and some of the evidence that you might have for others. Right. So typically, the the showing your faith by your works. Uh, motif in the uh, in the James passages is more for the others right so it's to say well I'm looking at somebody who claims that they have faith uh, what kind of evidence can I can I as an outsider have that they have a genuine saving faith I should be observing a good amount of good works that would testify to the fact that he's genuinely saved it's not so much presented in like in those terms about your own salvation. I mean, it's it's not usually like, well, how will I know that I'm saved? Well, I'm just going to look at the way I behave and that's going to tell me. I don't think that's the primary way in which we know that we are indeed saved. I think that what we do have is an immediate experience of the fact that we trust in Jesus. You know, like what does that feel like to trust in someone, to believe in them? Well, it's an active um, experience that's, I don't want to say unmistakable, but it's it's clear enough that you see, well, immediately, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm experiencing. I have trust. Just like I ask you, you know, how do I know that I'm in love with my wife? Well, this is something that I immediately experience. And sure enough, there's going to be some evidence of that in the fact, in the way that I treat her. But then I could lose my uh, sleep over the fact that, ah, but sometimes I don't treat her right. right? Uh, sometimes I stumble and, and I do something. Does that mean that I don't love her? Uh, no, the, the the evidence of my behavior is, is annoying, but it's not going to override my immediate experience of knowing that, yeah, I love my wife. 
So I would say that in the experiential um, uh, reality of trust in Jesus, this is how you know that your trust is indeed genuine and saving. And then the good works serve as evidence more for somebody else than anything. But even if people don't really like my story about how you actually come to know that you have saving faith, what's important to realize is that the conversations and the controversies between Protestants and Catholics about the uh, possibility of knowing that you're saved are also strongly affected by the misunderstandings that I've clarified so far, because uh, it's very common for Catholics to criticize the Protestant view on the grounds that they are allegedly um, uh, like presumptuous when they say that they can be confident that they will go to heaven. Like the, somehow it's, it's seen as unspiritual to claim that you know that you have assurance of salvation. Um, and yet it's based on, like, there's a couple of levels of misunderstanding here about that because the Catholic view also gives you a pretty good uh, answer to the question, is a person headed towards heaven or not? Right. Uh, and you got the formula and you just plug in all the different bits and you see what comes out as the output. Yeah, exactly. And it seems to me that you can reasonably have answers to those questions. Have I been baptized validly? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah, there's a few conditions to check, but you can check them carefully and say, yeah, have I received that? Have I committed a mortal sin later on? Have I received confession uh, by a, a correctly ordained priest after that? And those give you a yes or no answer. Am I or am I not? Now, there's one complication in this, which is that you don't necessarily have assurance of eventual salvation, right? So I like to distinguish between present counterfactual salvation and future factual salvation. So future factual salvation would be an affirmation that I will have eternal life when I die, or I will go to heaven when I die. Okay. That's a statement <clears throat> about what will be the case in the future. It's factual, and it will happen in the future, not now. Mm -hmm. But there's the question of what would happen now if I were, contrary to fact, to die immediately. Right. So it's a counterfactual mm -hmm. about what would be the case if I were to die right now. So it's present and counterfactual. Right, And so those are different questions. And depending on your theology, you might simply come to affirm that one follows from the other. So a Protestant who affirms the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved, depending on how you want to phrase it or how you cash uh, the, those labels. But mm -hmm. the person who says that once you come to genuine saving faith in Jesus, you're secure, you will remain in the faith. Right. And eventually when you die, you will still be in the faith. Then that person is in fact affirming that future factual salvation follows logically from present counterfactual salvation. They are saying that if you are right now such that you would go to heaven if you died, then we know that God will preserve you in that state until the end, mm -hmm. which means that you will go to heaven when you die in the future. Right. So that's that's a, a, a benefit of the view of perseverance of the saints. But not all Protestants affirm that. Sure. And Catholics deny. It. Yeah, yeah. So that's one area <clears throat> of poss possible the disagreement about the the nature of our assurance of salvation. Like, can you say right now that you will go to heaven in the future? So I would say, if you're a Catholic, then it's a bit more tricky to affirm such a thing because technically 
you're not covered from committing a mortal sin in the future. Right. Right. So yeah. even if you're confident right now that you're in a state of grace, you could always ask, well, yeah, but maybe in the future, I, I don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe I'll come to commit a mortal sin and then it's I, everything is in jeopardy again. So there's that, that question of the future happenstance. But forget future factual salvation, where I think we have a very clear um, uh, equivalence in terms of claims about uh, our confidence of salvation is about present counterfactual salvation. Mm -hmm. and, he, and here, both sides are making a statement about what are the criteria to affirm present counterfactual salvation. But if you meet those criteria, which differ from both sides, then you are able to say, I would go to heaven right now if I died. And I know that I would. Like, we have knowledge of those things. So there's not a presumptuous side here about present counterfactual salvation. Both give you a system of conditions that if they are met, you know and you can be uh, confident that you would go to heaven right now if you died. So would you, okay, so the Catholic condemnations in Trent, for example, uh, it's anathema if you believe justification by faith alone. So you would say that what's going on there is it's a condemnation of the view that uh, C, justification is accomplished by C, faith. So that, but sanctification can be accomplished by, or or the totality of salvation is accomplished merely by this intellectual ascent. It could be indeed. There are clearly space, uh, places in the in the councils uh, and the the canons uh, where it seems clear that that's what they have in view. Okay. But I don't want to I don't want to restrict this because I I am convinced that there are some anathema that successfully pin out Protestant affirmations and declare them to be anathema. Okay. So um, it it's um. It's going to come down like, to whether or not you should read this as meaning that therefore you're not in the faith, right? If you if you stand under an anathema, uh, is, is this is this an affirmation that your soul is in jeopardy? Right. Um, and and there there's going to be more historical like, question like is this what they meant when sure. they wrote those things? I think that for a, a faithful Catholic today, they would say that those anathema are not saying that the person cannot be saved. It's just a very strong, forceful condemnation of a teaching, right. uh, and and that's the end of that. But uh, yes, I, I do think that there's a mix of both sea faith, uh, like justification by sea faith alone, mm -hmm. where you can tell that they are targeting this, for which Protestants would say, well, if you're trying to aim at my view, this is a straw man. I don't affirm that. Right, right, right. Okay. Uh, but, but I do think that there are some of those canons that, that still su successfully pin out the, 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 Protestant. the Protestant view okay. and, and declare it to be anathema. So there, is there a C version of P faith? Is there a living, do they have a category of a living true faith? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that this is this is what they would say is involved that, in the actual spiritual life of right. The, okay, so that's leader. that's what we talked about before. The living, true faith is what would get you to confession, what would prevent you from doing a mortal sin, what would keep you in obedience. But that is not the ground of your that, uh, p justification. Th that is correct. Yeah, right, of your right. being in a state of, of you grace. Being, so. Yeah, right. Of you being <laughs> yeah, in a state yeah, of grace. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that, see, that, this that, is all the stuff I've been trying to tell Paul forever, <laughs> and you just explained it uh, better. I, I say this all the time to him, you know, and he's just not convinced. That's, yeah, he's um, just a philosopher. That's that's terrible. But you know, I mean, <laughs> is this? Um, I mean, there's a whole gamut of like, you know, it, it, is this a false gospel? Is this what the Judaizers preached? In Galatians, I think, you know, uh, a, a lot of criticism against the reformers, I don't know if it's actually valid, is that they sort of posted up the, uh, the, the Roman Catholics as the Judaizers, that they have, that they're not just a different 
articulation of the gospel, they're presenting a different message entirely. Is that a yep. fair critique? So, so, uh, so there's several things that I like to say about this. Uh, the, the, the first is that uh, they are presenting a different message altogether from the Protestant articulation. Right, so whether that qualifies as Christian or not is kind of a more of a, an issue of labels. But it's it's very essential to understand that the right question is what must I do to have eternal life, and that once you've clarified those issues and you can see those two views contrasted between the sacramental system and the salvation by faith alone, we offer two very different answers. One says you must repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, have this active trust in Jesus. The other side says you must, yeah, believing in Jesus is going to be clearly important, but what really gets you into the grace of God is receive baptism, and if you commit a mortal sin, receive confession after that. So it's different answers, different criteria for what must I do to have eternal life. So it's a pretty big deal that we disagree on that, because, you know, eternal life is a pretty big deal in my book. But would you say, let's say you're in the first century, a Judaizer says, I believe in Jesus. I do trust him. Yeah. But yeah. I also think you need to be circumcised. Um, would Paul think that this guy is saved? Yeah, you so know? this is this is why uh, I, I commented earlier that there is some degree of soteriological content to that living faith. Uh, I think that Paul probably, I mean, he does say this much, that some people are cut off from Christ right. Right, when they insist on being saved according to the flesh. Exactly what is the degree to which the person has embraced those things and insists on being judged on their basis um, is, not, is not something that's easily judged from the outside. It's going to be more of a matter of the heart. Right? It's the content of the just of the faith that, that saves or doesn't save. Um, what, what I would say, though, is that the, a lot of what Paul is uh, chiding them for is uh, this issue of, of uh, works, right? the place of works, uh, good works. Um, some of which, obviously, you know, there's debates on whether right. it's, it's, it's the works of the law in the sense of the uh, rituals or and, yeah. the, the identity markers, yeah. or is this also the moral works of good righteousness? And, and here, uh, the place of good works is a question on which, um, again, there's enlightening consequences to my clarification of the two views uh, with respect to the place of good works, because... This is a typical topic of disagreement between Catholics and Protestants, where Protestants are going to say, well, no, you have the sacramental system, you have Rome's view that you must merit eternal life. So this is like, there's a a big emphasis on good works. And we say, no, 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 none of this. We're saved by faith, not by works. Plus, there's a very unfortunate framing of the debate to begin with, which is to say, Protestants affirm sola fide, that we're saved, we're justified by faith alone. And then... Catholics deny it. And so what do they affirm? Well, they affirm faith plus works. So you have faith on one side, faith alone on one side, and faith plus works on the other side. It's a horrible framing of the debate. Because precisely it's failing to identify the equivocation on the word justification. And so with that view, it's typical to look at the Catholic side and say, well, you know, like they're putting works under justification. So they're doing the same thing as the Judaizers. They are falling under the condemnations of Paul. This is as terrible as it gets. And what I'm coming to say is maybe some Catholics have that kind of view. And yes, this is more like it's works righteousness. Yeah. It's Pelagianism at, at, right. at its absolute worst. Ugly stuff, reject it with all your heart. But Catholics who affirm the sacramental system that I've just described have actually plenty of room to reject entirely that good works play any part in this. Sure. And this is going to be fairly pleasing to Protestant ears because if you look at it, um, like the conditions to be in a state of grace have nothing to do with your moral righteousness. 
Like baptism is not something that you achieve by <laughs> your good works. It's something you receive mm-hmm. uh, very passively. And this is just a ritual that puts you into the state of grace. Similarly, the sacrament of confession is not on the basis of the good works that you perform that you are put back into the state of grace. It's purely on the confession and on the receiving of the absolution. So neither of those two things have anything to do with your helping the old ladies cross the street or donating, or donating your money to the homeless. Right? So it's, it's not your moral righteousness and your moral good deeds that contributes to that. It's purely a sacramental answer. So this is another common point that I like to um, identify between the Protestant and Catholic views, that they're both forensic. Mm. Like, they're, they're both entirely, uh, like uh, it's an acquittal, and it's not on the basis of whether we are in fact innocent. So that now undercuts a whole slew of objections coming from the Catholic side against the Protestant view when they um, criticize us for saying that we have a, a, a legal fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you, you're guilty, but God sees you as innocent. Like, what kind of a fiction is this? Uh, you're not actually morally transformed in justification. Well, that means, and it's, you know, like uh, the, the, the views of uh, Luther, you know, we say it's an alien righteousness. Like, you're mm-hmm. not actually righteous, but God somehow counts you as righteous. That's wrong. Um, but all of those concerns from the Catholic side are actually equally applicable to their own view. That's a really right. good point. If we yeah. framed correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, both Roman Catholics, when it comes to the question of how you are morally acquitted of your sin and in a state of grace, when we properly frame it, both Protestants and Catholics believe that you're in, not by your works. The exactly. difference would be, oh, it's almost a difference of will is faith sufficient enough, truly living faith, to give you an assurance that in the end you will be also acquitted. That, that, that yes, yeah, and, and, on the, and on the Catholic side, that's, that's uh, assuming that you don't commit a mortal sin after that. That's, sure, that's the big sure. question. So, so, it's, it's so, really, so, so yeah. the, the, works, okay. the works do somewhat participate in that, right? But yeah. it's not that you're going to somehow, like the, the, the traditional picture of the terrible works righteousness view is that you perform enough good works that you accumulate some sort of credit. And then if you do enough of them, you pass muster, your, your, your good deeds outweigh your uh, sins. And now all of a sudden you're, you're on the right side of right. God. None of this is, is uh, happening in the Catholic system right. where it's really the sacramental system that gets you into the state of grace by baptism. And then, yes, sure enough, you need to be good enough that you don't commit a mortal sin. But that's not like accumulating some sort of righteousness. It's just refraining but, from doing this one thing that's going to cut you off. Can I just say, though, that but circumcision also is not a, a, a moral good work. And yet yeah, that's, that's condemned right. as being a, a denial of the gospel. And then, you know, he, he, Paul does make the call that you're cut off from Christ. Yeah, so that's would, right. So wouldn't, there be, wouldn't circumcision be baptism in, in Catholicism? Yeah, so that, that's, you know, you're holding my feet to the fire here in my attempts <laughs> yeah. to, def- to defend Catholicism. And I find myself to be the unlikely uh, advocate of, or defender of the, the merits <laughs> of the Catholic view because I reject it. Um, here, what I would say is that, yes, uh, so circumcision, circumcision in itself uh, can be seen as completely like amoral. Um, but Paul, um, he, he lumps it together with the keeping of the law. And, mm-hmm. and there he has in view the entirety of the moral law as much as the uh, ritual law, so that he doesn't really draw that distinction very uh, clearly in Galatians. He's saying, like, you're insisting on the keeping of the law, then go ahead. If you have to keep a little bit, you have to keep it all. 
and that's that's the more word for word with the argument he's making like uh, i think in romans he does same things like you break one command but okay so that means you break it all so um the the lumping here of circumcision along with all of the works of righteousness is the reason why paul ends up saying you know like yeah you're trying to have your uh, salvation by your good works uh, but no it's actually by faith alone which is why that's a standard debate between paul and the judaizers has been taken up by the reformers to say no we want to reject salvation by works uh, and it's by faith alone and my point here in favor of the catholic view is to say no there's a way of affirming that sacramental system that that agrees yeah no moral good works are not in there this is not we're not insisting oh, on I see. that we do uh, this is this is purely forensic so um, if i'm understanding you correctly you're saying that that in paul's argument circumcision is a proxy for a whole system of thinking that your works earn salvation whereas for catholicism it's not a it's it's yeah, not bundled that, up in it it's simply merely the the act yeah, I think that that would be the, the defense that I make if I were uh, a Catholic trying to to defend the merits of, of this system. So uh, what I'm hearing that is you are a Catholic. <laughs> More or less. So, so, so let, let me give a limitation to my uh, goodwill attempts at uh, rescuing the, the non-works righteousness status yeah. of Catholicism. Um, I think that the sensible way to do that is to take the line that I've just described. You focus on the sacramental system. You say there's no good works in there. It's purely the uh, the grace of God that's conveyed in baptism and in confession if necessary. And so the good works are only... So this is where there's going to be a great parallel between the Protestant and Catholic view once again, which is that the place of good works on that view is simply as an evidence of the true reality, which is on the Protestant view is the presence of genuine living faith, on the Catholic view, is going to say the good works are evidence of uh, being in the state of grace, hmm. and so that that puts us on the exact same footing yeah, uh, in, interpre yeah. in, in interpreting a text like Matthew twenty-five, where you have the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says uh, you know, sits in judgment, and the grounds of this judgment is the various good works that these people have performed. And he says, uh, "You've uh, fed me when I was hungry. You welcomed me when I was homeless." Uh, and then there's this, obviously this nice teaching that uh, what we did to some people than we actually did to Jesus. Um, but it remains that the grounds here of the judgment is pronounced on the basis of those who did those good things versus those who rejected Jesus by rejecting the list of these. And so the Catholics are very fond of taking this text and saying, look, this is the final judgment. This is actually whether we are in or out. And it's on the basis of good works. It's not salvation by faith alone. What do you tell me, Protestant, about this? And that I'm claiming is completely misguided because it's actually self-refuting coming from a Catholic whose view, once clarified, actually doesn't count on good works any better, any strongly, more strongly than the Protestants does. Because the sacramental system that I've described does not involve moral good deeds in any better capacity than the Protestants say. They, like when you ask, have you been baptized? Have you received the sacrament of confession? It's not about, again, helping the old lady cross the street or feeding the homeless. It's purely a sacramental question of have you, receiving, have you received those things? So the Protestant uh, answer typically for that is to say, look, the, the good works are actually just a reliable proxy 
to see that somebody has genuine saving faith, right? So we are saved by faith. This is the consistent teaching on salvation in the New Testament. And when somebody is looking at our good works like this to infer or to declare a salvation status, it's simply a reliable proxy because sanctification and good works will necessarily follow from a genuine saving faith. Now, whether you like this answer or not, I'm saying that the Catholics is committed to saying exactly the same thing. They're going to say, but when you look at the final good deeds of the person for judgment, it's not talking about their sacramental system, like have they received baptism or confession. It's looking at their good works, and that has to be taken as a reliable proxy of the deeper reality that they are in a state of grace. Yeah. And, and I find that answer to be <clears throat> coherent, and that's the one that I give on my Protestant side, and I'm saying Catholics cannot use this against Protestantism because that would be literally self-refuting for their own view. So there is I just maybe this is like the summary statement that I'm getting. This is so helpful that there is a major difference between Protestants and Catholics on how they define how do I know that I'm going to be counted morally righteous yes, legally uh, before God, right? Accepted, forgiven, right? There are two different conditions that they have. But yeah. it's not as simple as one is faith alone and the other is faith plus works. That's too exactly. simple. And the conversation is not moving forward because we're talking past each other. Exactly. Catholics so, so in a sense, so in a sense about you know, faith and, and, uh, and yeah. justification. Yeah. And, and so in a sense, I take my work to be uh, reconciling Protestants and Catholics on a number yeah. of things that they are mistakenly uh, in disagreement over. <clears throat> And at the same time, remaining a very strong difference by right. clearly showing that the two systems are different in some sense. So uh, I, I reconcile in some ways, but I also maintain the disagreement very strongly in some others. And I also remove some of the arguments from each side that end up being self-refuting when you really understand what, what is the target of the argument and what is the commitments that you have on your own side. And, and I was uh, kind of saying... Like, still putting a, a cap on how much defense of the Catholic view I, I can make in light of like saying, no, they don't really affirm uh, works righteousness. There are some very problematic statements in some of the decrees of the various councils that require a serious stretch for you not to see it as declaring that moral good deeds are the, uh, the condition or, the, or the, the grounds of your acceptance uh, by God. And this, this, it's all the language of meriting eternal life by your good works. Mm. So the, this language of merit is present, is strong. I think in context, it's very difficult to interpret as meaning anything else than really this. Like you do the good work and you merit some recompense, which is yeah, eternal life. So what I'm saying is that if I were a Catholic, I probably would twist and dim down those teachings very strongly, mm. make them much more mild than they in fact sound, so that they would be consistent with the over otherwise fairly consistent teaching of the sacramental system that doesn't have any place for moral righteousness as the grounds for your salvation. So I, I, I'm, I'm willing to, as a Protestant, I have the luxury of simply saying, let's make those statements much milder than they sound, you know, dim them down a lot. Um, and then that means that you have the sacramental system. And I think that sacramental system is false, but at least it's coherent there. And also, many of the arguments coming from that side now are self-refuting when they try to attack my view, my Protestant view. Or if you're not comfortable with dimming down those teachings because I think you arguably are making violence to this, then that means you're affirming works righteousness. Mm. And here, yeah, I would say that that's pretty bad and that, that ought to be rejected on that basis. 
So whichever way you slice it, yeah, <laughs> whichever way you interpret those passages, I think there's problems for the Catholic sides. Um, yeah. But I, I try to give the charitable reading that um, allows it to not teach that you're saved by your good works, which I take it to be a, a virtue of a salvation system uh, to be not based on works. Yeah, absolutely. And it, this, I think this is the third time that I've heard you run through this and it's become much more compelling every single time and a, a lot more clear. And it, it's, it's really helpful to know, not that there is no disagreement, there is a disagreement, but knowing exactly where the disagreement is and then certain other alleged or purported disagreements are not actually there. And then clearing away some of the straw men uh, objections like Catholics believe in the, the works righteousness or there is no uh, conception of assurance of salvation on the Catholic system where there is, right? There, there is no, so the Catholic objection of arrogance, of, of you know, mm -hmm. betting that you will end up in, in heaven is sort of taking God's grace for granted. It doesn't really work. And so it's really, really helpful to see yeah. things framed in that way. And so, yeah, yeah you... Uh, this is this is the beauty of analytic philosophy, Brian. That you is know, that. <laughs> this was fantastic. I mean, seriously, this was a very helpful, clarifying conversation. If you write a book on this, I have a title for you. Oh, you wonderful! Ready? Yes, please it's, uh, read it to me. Gracial reconciliation. <laughs> I think Paul just vomited. Paul just vomited instantly. It was like a projectile thing on the that wall. That was that was pretty bad. Yeah. That's like that's like worse than Fifty Shades of Grace. <laughs> oh, that no, that was a great one. Are you kidding me? Fifty Shades yeah. of Grace. So awesome. I don't that's I don't awesome. even have as much as a working title for my work on this, but I, I have toyed with the uh, with the justification equivocation. I like the oh, that's the, a good the, one. The, there you go. That's a good one. Uh, because yeah. it. it it is at, at, at the heart, this is really the, the initial problem that uh, unravels everything, that we mean something different by justification. And when you clarify what we actually mean, we can start to have a good conversation yeah. about this. Well, when you write the book, let us know and we'll have you back on and we can continue the Reformation. And then you can clarify the uh, the Piper Wright debate in your next work. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There <laughs> you go. Clear on that that dimension of the justification debate as well. Yeah, that, that's that's part of my research as well to try to show that that debate is actually separate and it doesn't really have any impact in the in the debates between Catholics and Protestants. So that's that's, that's well, very you, uh, tantalizing. Uh, well, All right, well, other right. kind of worm, but uh, definitely some value in there to understand the. the it's a nice little cliffhanger. For, I know. Uh, for we'll, we'll number that. three, if we didn't scare you away or offend yeah. you with our French jokes at the start. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll open up that can of worms at a later date. But Guillaume, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're, uh, we're grateful for your words of wisdom on this. And uh, we appreciate Hopefully this gets more conversation started because it is important, um, but it's also important to frame things well. And I think you've, you've given us a good start with that. So thank you for being on our podcast. Well, it's really my pleasure. Thanks for having me.